Good evening and welcome to NCD News. I'm Sue Biamba in for Stefania. Here are today's top stories. Lawmakers reacting to classified documents found at President Biden's private office. Plus, a new report on what these documents could be and Biden's reply. Over in Mexico, Biden met with his Mexican and Canadian counterparts to reach agreements on important international issues. We'll look at how he's handling some of the top concerns. The Department of Education introduced a new version of a student loan repayment plan today. Some monthly payments would be cut in half under the new proposal. More deaths from the storms in California. At least 16 people have died from the falling trees, mudslides and other disasters. And it's day two of 118th Congress. Lawmakers got to work creating two committees, one focused on China and the other to investigate the federal government. And today's Melina Weisskopf brings us more from the Capitol Hill. So while the main focus of this committee will be looking at the economic relations between the U.S. and China, it will also look at human rights issues. And if you really think about it, um, the human rights issues and the economic issues between these two countries really go hand in hand. Like one member mentioned on the floor today, that's because there are some U.S. businesses who are investing in China where forced labor is occurring. So they said they will be investigating issues like this. It's important to note that this committee will only have investigative jurisdiction. They will not have a legislative jurisdiction. We caught up with some of the lawmakers who will be sitting on this committee to find out specifically what they will be looking at. One of them told me um, it's important to not only look at how the U.S. can compete with China on the domestic front, but also look at how the U.S. can use our economic influence around the world to deter the Chinese Communist Party's influence on the global scale. Why are we not partnering with Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, the Philippines, they are craving us. This select committee is going to focus on that. Chinese students studying at our universities and targets Americans of Chinese descent. And it is here at home where thousands of Americans are poisoned each year by fentanyl precursors manufactured in China. We need to have a united front here in Congress to counter the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, although it was bipartisan, the members who did oppose it, we spoke with one of them and he said that he's not opposed to the idea of creating a strategy in regards to China, but he says he believes that this should be done through the already formed Foreign Affairs Committee. If you don't vote for it, you sound like you're in favor of China, you're in favor of the Communist Party. Well, I'm not in favor of any communists, and I'm certainly not in favor of the Chinese communists, but I'm also in favor of fairness. And he and other lawmakers were very adamant about making a point both on the floor and afterwards when they were speaking with me about the need to make a distinction between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people. Here's a look. To the careful way that it was, uh, the words were uh, written in the resolution that it's talking about the Chinese Communist Party, not the Chinese people. Our concern is not with the Chinese people or the, or the, the rich culture of, of Chinese history. Our grievances, our concerns, relate specifically to the authoritarian regime in Beijing, which does not, we believe, does not represent 
the hopes, aspirations of the Chinese people. And while the creation of this committee was a very bipartisan one, another one that was created today was not. That is the committee, the subcommittee to investigate the weaponization of the federal government. This would look at issues um, as to how the federal government collects information about citizens or may take action against American citizens. Democrats today calling this committee a tinfoil hat committee, saying that they still plan to put uh, members on it to have some representation, although they don't necessarily agree with it. President Biden met with the Canadian Prime Minister today. It's day two of the North American Summit. And today's Arlene Richards reports. Monday kicked off the 10th North American Summit, where the heads of Mexico, the U.S. and Canada gathered in Mexico City for a series of talks on migration, trade and climate change. The goal of the meetings is to collectively develop a stronger North America, including a pledge to cut methane emissions, an agreement to manage the overwhelming migration to the region, and a cohesive strategy for dealing with future pandemic-related health threats. While the centerpiece of the summit will be hours of talks between all three leaders, on Tuesday, Biden met individually with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Biden said North American countries need to strengthen supply chains to counter Asia, especially China. No one can arbitrarily hold us up or a pandemic in Asia cause us to not have access to critical elements that we need to do everything from build automobiles to so many other things. Biden has been a proponent of rebuilding U.S. manufacturing and moving supply chains closer to home since the beginning of his presidency. Meanwhile, Trudeau and Mexican President André Manuel López Obrador expressed concern that Biden's plans could leave Canada and Mexico out of the picture. In response, Biden noted that the U.S. already provides more foreign aid than any other country. Trudeau is hopeful that they can continue to work together. As we talk about uh, issues, whether it's uh, Haiti, whether it's some of the challenges in South America, whether we talk about uh, critical minerals and energy and how we're going to continue to move forward to create those efficient and resilient supply and value chains that we need, uh, there's a lot that we're going to be able to do together. In the one-on-one -on -one meeting with Lopez Obrador on Monday, Biden agreed that it's a critical moment for cooperation. But a potential agreement is overshadowed by a dispute over Lopez Obrador's efforts to give priority to Mexico's cash-strapped energy companies over private investors. In other talks, the U.S. and Mexico have reached an agreement on a major shift in immigration policy, which Biden announced last week. The new rules limit the number of legal migrants crossing into the U.S. from four South American nations to 30,000 per month for the next two years, but provide an easier legal pathway for them. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Reactions are pouring in after the White House admitted that classified documents were found at President Biden's private office. And today's Iris Tao has the story. Plus, some revelations on what the papers may potentially include. For a second day, still no answer from President Biden. Biden's under fire for classified documents discovered at Penn Biden Center, which is in the building right behind me. The documents were from Biden's time as vice president. They were found by Biden's personal lawyers just six days before the midterm elections. But the White House only admitted to it yesterday. 
The White House tells CNN that Biden was unaware what those documents were. But the outlet is reporting today that they included 10 classified documents about Ukraine, Iran and the UK. And some were labeled as top secret. Where's the FBI raid? Republicans and former President Trump are saying there's a double standard since the FBI raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago home over classified documents. And just four months ago, Biden said this about documents found at Trump's home. How that could possibly happen, how one, anyone could be that irresponsible. Democrats, meanwhile, are calling such criticism. This is Republican hypocrisy at its finest. What President Biden did was disclose this to the archives. Meanwhile, an ethics watchdog group tells NTD the think tank involved here could have funding ties with China. We uh, have information that the University of Pest has received millions of dollars of Chinese money. We believe some of that went to the Biden Center. Who knows whether there's some documentation of these classified documents that do involve China. So it's really suspicious here, and this calls for a full investigation with subpoena power by the committees. The Department of Justice is reviewing the found documents, and Republicans are now adding this matter to their growing list of investigations. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. The Biden administration today officially moved forward with a multi-billion dollar plan to lower student loan repayments. This plan is not the same as the one the president announced last year. The Department of Education on Tuesday officially proposed changes to existing student loan repayment plans. President Biden announced a repayment plan in August, but it was overshadowed by his controversial student loan forgiveness plan. Under Biden's current plan, monthly payments are capped at 10% of a borrower's discretionary income, and those earning less than around $20,000 a year aren't required to make payments. The new proposal would cap payments for undergraduate loans at 5% of borrowers' pay, cutting their bills in half, and require payments only for those who earn more than about $30,000 a year. On top of that, the plan says that unpaid interest won't be charged if people make regular payments. In an announcement published Tuesday, Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona explained the interest forgiveness, saying that up until before the pandemic, a million borrowers defaulted on their loans a year, and snowballing interest left millions owing more than they initially borrowed. The proposal would also make it easier to get debt erased after making several years of payments. Existing plans promise to cancel any remaining debt after around 20 years of payments. The new plan would erase all remaining debt after 10 years for those who took out $12,000 or less in loans. Opponents are blasting the new plan as an unfair handout with a steep price tag. Some critics say the plan would cost around $200 billion over the next decade. In addition to that, NPR says sources tell them there is not enough money for the various student loan plans. Officials for the Office of Federal Student Aid reportedly tell NPR that last year's $1.7 trillion omnibus spending plan didn't include nearly enough money for them to do everything they're supposed to do in 2023. It's not yet clear when and if the proposed plans will go into effect, although it could take months. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. A Pfizer board member pressured Twitter to censor posts on natural immunity to COVID and the low COVID risk for children. That's what the latest Twitter files by Alex and Berenson show. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. The board member is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He previously served as FDA commissioner from 2017 to 2019. In August of 2021, he reached out to Twitter's executive Todd O'Boyle. 
He wanted O'Boyle to ask Twitter to censor a post from Dr. Brett Girard, himself a former FDA commissioner. Girard had written that it was clear natural immunity or post-infection immunity is superior to vaccine immunity by a lot, pointing to an Israeli study. He added that there was no scientific justification to require proof of COVID-19 vaccination if a person had natural immunity, advising those with no prior infection to get vaccinated. Gottlieb claimed that those kind of posts were corrosive. He said Girard was drawing a, quote, sweeping conclusion off a single retrospective study in Israel that hasn't been peer-reviewed. The study was later published in the journal Clinical Infectious Diseases following peer review. A Twitter analyst who reviewed the post determined it did not violate any misinformation rules. However, Twitter still put a tag on it, claiming to all users who viewed it that it was misleading and preventing people from replying to, sharing, or liking it. Gottlieb later messaged O'Boyle again. This time he flagged a post from Justin Hart, a critic of lockdowns and a COVID-19 vaccine skeptic. Hart's post said, quote, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of less than zero has cost our children nearly three years of schooling. Studies and data show that COVID-19 poses little mortality risk to young, healthy people. Gottlieb did not detail why he wanted to censor Hart, but the objection came shortly before the U.S. government authorized and recommended Pfizer's vaccine for children aged 5 to 11. Gottlieb responded to this installment of the Twitter files on Twitter saying, quote, The selective disclosure of my private communications with Twitter stokes the threat environment. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The death toll due to California storms has now increased to 16. Across the state, residents are cleaning up the fallen trees, evacuating from mudslides, and rescuing trapped people. As of Tuesday morning, 16 people have died due to storm-related disasters. According to PowerOutage.us, nearly 200,000 people were without power Tuesday morning. On Monday, Sacramento residents were cleaning up and surveying the damage caused by toppled giant trees throughout the state capitol. Two nights ago, there were some pretty extreme winds through the area. Um, as you can see, pretty big tree got pushed over by the wind. This is one of like many. This is not the only one in the area. Um, weren't surprised to see trees like this coming down um, here in the wind two nights ago. It was pretty aggressive, so yeah. Fallen trees have crushed homes and vehicles. Part of the roof caved in, it actually hit, it fell down on top of one. So he got some scrapes and bruises and a bump on his head, but um, he's fine. Um, but our house, as you can see, is not fine. <laughs> So. In Santa Cruz County, evacuation orders were issued for about 32,000 residents living near rain-swollen rivers and creeks. A huge branch harpooned my roof, and I live in a small studio. So I have two kitties, and we could have been killed by it with over a ton. So needless to say, very disturbing. A PG&E lineman captured a falling pine tree in the Santa Cruz Mountains due to a mudslide along Highway 9. In Southern California, the town of Montecito, next to Santa Barbara, was ordered to evacuate. A five-year-old boy was swept away, but officials have not declared him dead yet. And the Los Angeles City Fire Department responded to a traffic collision after two cars fell into a sinkhole about 15 feet deep. 
about 50 firefighters rescued the two trapped people. So we went with the high angle rescue, lowered a rescuer into the side door, opened, this, opened the door, secured the door, and used a, used a harness strap to, to secure the vic first victim and lift both the rescuer and the victim out. Went back in, rescued the second victim, both with minor injuries and were transported to a local area hospital. Officials say the storms won't be enough to officially end California's ongoing drought, but they have helped. Coming up, Ukrainian troops will soon be training on equipment in the United States. It will help Ukraine defend itself against Russian airstrikes. And in baseball news, a free agent shortstop Carlos Correa's mega deal with the Mets has fallen through, but he's already found another. And today's Dave Martin has the story. After facing several defeats in Ukraine, Russia now appears to be gaining territory. And the Pentagon has announced a major move to help Ukraine defend itself. And today's Jason Perry has the story. Russia and Ukraine battled for days in a small town in eastern Ukraine. And after four days of fighting, Russian forces appear to have taken over the salt mining town of Solodar. That's according to Britain's defense ministry. We cover for our boys who are out there in the trenches now. Ukrainian troops have found a way to use an anti-aircraft gun that was produced in the 1950s to hit land targets. If they creep in very actively, then we kill them in great numbers. If they're not too active, then we don't fire intensely at their positions, but we fire at their bases instead. And the Pentagon announced on Tuesday that Ukrainian forces will soon have a high-tech piece of equipment to better defend itself against the Russian airstrikes. I can confirm that training for Ukrainian forces on the Patriot Air Defense System will begin as soon as next week at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. The Patriot System is a primary air defense system used by the United States military. It can destroy aircraft and incoming missiles from about 100 miles away. The training will prepare approximately 90 to 100 Ukrainian soldiers to operate, maintain, and sustain the defensive system over a training course expected to last several months. And the U.S. plans to provide Ukraine with one Patriot air defense system. Ukraine is also getting support from NATO and the EU. They both signed a declaration of cooperation on Tuesday. Um, the aim is, of course, uh, to ensure that we can continue and also strengthen our support to Ukraine. One of Russian President Putin's closest allies said this in a newspaper interview. The events in Ukraine are not a clash between Moscow and Kyiv. This is a military confrontation between Russia and NATO, and above all, the United States and Britain. He went on to say that the West wants to erase Russia from the political map of the world. The Russian defense minister says there is one way to help maintain Russia's sovereignty. We will continue to develop the nuclear triad and maintain its combat readiness since the nuclear shield has been and remains the main guarantor of the sovereignty and territorial integrity of our state. Jason Perry, NTD News. What would happen if China inv invades Taiwan? And what would a war with China do to the U.S.? A leading think tank in D.C. released a report on such scenarios. 
DC-based think tank Center for Strategic and International Studies designed a war game of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. It modeled an amphibious invasion of Taiwan in 2026 and ran it 24 times in a variety of scenarios. Here is what they found. Under most circumstances, China is unlikely to succeed in its op operational objectives uh, or to occupy Taipei. And second, the costs of war would be high for all involved, as Mark said, certainly to include the United States. Uh, starting on the operational piece, uh, the challenges confronting China in an invasion are se severe. The report highlights that Taiwan is likely to maintain its autonomy in the case of a Chinese invasion. But four critical conditions must be met. First, Taiwan must resist. If Taiwan capitulates immediately upon invasion, like Denmark or Thailand did in World War II, then there's nothing that the U.S. can do in order to uh, reverse that capitulation. Second, the U.S. must quickly commit its own forces to direct combat operations against China. If there's no U.S. commitment whatsoever, we estimate that it would take about two or three months for China to conquer Taiwan if Taiwan resisted to the best of its abilities, but that that success on China's part is inevitable. The other two conditions are that the U.S. must conduct operations from its bases in Japan, and the U.S. must have sufficient anti-ship munitions. And in terms of the losses, the report says the U.S. and allies would lose dozens of ships, hundreds of aircraft, and tens of thousands of service members. Bases on Guam are just, uh, generally destroyed on, in the first hours of the war by Chinese intermediate range ballistic missiles. And in all but five of the games, uh, China attacked U.S. bases in Japan, which often brings to, uh, would often bring Japan into the war. The report says such an invasion would also bring heavy losses to China, and failure to occupy Taiwan might destabilize the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. Retired U.S. Air Force General David Deptula said the U.S. needs to get creative in deterring a Chinese invasion. I believe it's extraordinarily unwise from a deterrent perspective to yield sanctuary to the PRC in advance of any contact, conflict by declaring that U.S. attacks against China's mainland would be off the table. The think tank says that based on their report, the U.S. should strengthen deterrence immediately. Now over to sports news. Here's Entity's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Sue. Carlos Correa has seemingly switched teams yet again. This time he's back with the Twins for a reported six-year deal worth $200 million. The free agent all-star shortstop previously agreed to massive deals worth more than $300 million each with both the Giants and Mets but both contracts were reportedly held up over concerns about its physical. Now it seems unlikely this deal would fall through since Korea played last year for Minnesota. And while his new deal is only half as long as these others he's agreed to, it also reportedly contains a vesting option that could add another four years to the contract should he pass a medical review. At issue is his right leg, which he broke in 2014 while playing in the minors. The following season, though, Korea won Rookie of the Year in the Majors with Houston, where he spent his first seven seasons. And in college football news, the Georgia Bulldogs are the national champs for the second straight season after hammering TCU 65-7 last night. Less than 24 hours later, they're already the betting favorites to make it three in a row next year at just under 4-1 odds. Right behind them are Alabama, then Ohio State, USC, 
and tied for fifth at 14 to 1 odds are Michigan and LSU. Now no team has won three straight titles since Minnesota back in the 1930s. Alabama did win three out of four a decade ago as did Nebraska in the 90s and Notre Dame in the 40s. The Bulldogs though will have to replace several starters next year including quarterback Stetson Bennett who is a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has seven games on tap including the return of two-time MVP Steph Curry from a shoulder injury as his Warriors host the Suns. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has 10 games planned for tonight, including arguably the hottest team in the league, the surprising Winnipeg Jets, who've won five in a row, playing at Detroit. And that's it for your sports news. Back to you, Sue. Thank you, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sue Biamba. Have a great night.